Many doubted we'd ever see it, but here it is. The return to glory. McDavid stops up. What a move. Shoots. Scores! Hey, welcome to The Outsiders. I'm Bryn Griffiths along with Robin Brownlee. Robin, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm good, Brent, except we're on my phone, not on Zoom. Oh, yeah, you're right about that. <laughs> Actually, you sound pretty good today. I think you might sound better than you've ever sounded before. <laughs> I wouldn't be too worried about it. Uh, listen, i got to ask you a question. So uh, I- I'm completely out of sync. We have hockey over with. We have the NBA over with. And I walk outside today and I notice that, oh, my God, the the... the the water fountain on the back deck is froze over. I was expecting to see little Woodstock from the Peanuts cartoon skating with his toque on the top <laughs> of the bird fountain today. I'm completely out of whack. Are you feeling the same way? Well, it, it, it is odd. It's, uh, it should be the start of hockey season, should it not? It certainly feels like it. And instead, uh, we're at the end. Uh, the NBA season is over. Yeah, it's... Uh, uh, we'll get a reminder of exactly uh, where we're at when the snow starts to fall. Okay, let's talk about free agency because everybody else is. You know, obviously we've congratulated Tampa on winning their second Stanley Cup championship, so now it's on to other things. And free agency was one of the things that we knew we were going to be talking about this week. Let's deal with the Western teams first. Let's talk about the Edmonton Oilers and Kenny Holland. So he brings in Kyle Turris. He brings in Ennis. He brings in Puliyarvi. He brings in Barry, Tyson Barry. And double-A is gone. So those four guys come in at just more than double-A would have cost. I think that he did pretty well here. The only big question mark that he's left on the table is the goaltending situation because he circled back after he could not nab one of the big free agents out there. He had to circle back and get Mike Smith, which set would really set a bonfire on with Euler fan, but your, your thought on all this. Well, I, I really like Ken Holland's work. I mean, the fact that he got, uh, made those economy signings uh, on the first day, and, and I'll count uh, Paul Yarby as that, even though he was done uh, before then and he was not a, a free agent per se, but... I like I like Ennis. I really I really like the tourist deal. He's a fit there at this point in his career. He's coming off a bad season. He's a better player than what he showed. Uh, and and the thing I like the most is is Tyson Berry. Tyson Berry was being talked about for all kinds of stupid money as a possibility for Edmonton three or four years ago. Now you bring him in for a one year look see at three point seven five million. Uh, that's partially uh, because you need somebody to fill the void uh, left by Oscar Clefbaum. But Tyson Berry is a hell of a player. Now, is he going to win a Norris Trophy based on his defensive play? No. But anybody that thinks that hasn't been watching Tyson Berry play. But when he has 39 points in a bad year, uh, you understand what kind of offense he can generate. So, he will be a fill-in initially for Oscar Clefbaum, but if he likes it here and the Oilers have a good year, uh, there's no reason he can't stay. And the price is right. I thought that was 
a terrific move. As for you know, as for Smith, yes, I wanted to see an upgrade in goal. Obviously, Ken Holland did too. Now he, I understand fans getting frustrated with the WTF. Uh, why is Smith coming back? Right. But the fact is. Ken Holland made the calls. He talked to the agents. And if there's a reason why he had to circle back to Mike Smith, Ken Holland knows it. He's not necessarily going to tell us. He's going to say, well, we're glad to have him back, blah, blah, blah. That's what you do when you step to the podium. He probably tried. He either didn't find a player he liked or didn't find a price point he liked. And he went to Smith. And is that a disappointment? Yeah, probably. Is it worth having a fit over? I don't think so. What Ken Holland and more importantly, Dave Tippett has to do as the coach who decides the game day lineup is lean on Koskinen more and Smith less. Last year, they were a tandem. Let's say they play 60 games this year, Bryn. I would go 40 to 45 Koskinen unless he gives you a reason not to. And Smith is your definite backup. Smith is all over the place. He can be great, but you get too much down if you play him more games as well. So I don't love it, but I don't hate it. The other thing, too, these two netminders, and as much as people think they were wildly inconsistent, they almost got them a playoff spot anyway. So I think it may be a little overreactionary on the part of the fans to say, well, this goaltending isn't good enough. Well, last season, it was probably going to be good enough. The problem is... They get into the play-in round, and a bunch of guys didn't show up, including Miko Koskinen, and Mike Smith had trouble. The goaltending, some people could say it was revealed in the uh, play-in round. I don't necessarily buy that. I also think that Mike Smith knew that it would be a situation where the Oilers were going to test the free agent market first, and if they didn't like what they saw, would you be happy to come back? You and I have hung around teams long enough. I've even worked behind the scenes where these conversations don't just happen in half a day. These things could have happened months ago, right? As soon as the Oilers were not moving on to the playoffs and they got bounced out by Chicago and their netminder, who was sensational in that play-in round, I'm pretty sure that there was already a discussion between Ken Holland and Mike Smith about, look, here's what we're thinking of doing. If your ego or you aren't happy about the way that that would roll out, tell me now so that I have got a, a real good handle on it. And I don't. I think from the comments that I saw, and it could have been a smoke show by Mike Smith where he said he and his family have enjoyed it here. So why wouldn't yeah. I take a good look back at rejoining the hockey club? And, and the other thing you talked about, you mentioned money all the way through this. You know what I like about all this? I like the term. The terms yeah. on these guys, one-year deals. These, This yeah. is a hockey club that's one year away from getting out of a catastrophe when it comes to the salary cap. And you're bringing all these guys in on one-year deals so you can renegotiate, and who knows where the cap will be next year. We just don't know, right? Well, I think it will probably be flat again, but that still is a, a valid point, Bryn. Let me say this, though. Um you mentioned uh, Crawford was good. Crawford was terrible, except for the deciding game. Crawford was sub-900 in that series. Yeah, but he made but, the right saves at the right yeah, times. The, pro- the problem was that Tippett goes with Smith, and, and the, the cynics 
nod knowingly going, oh, there he's going back to his guy, and Smith craps the bed in the first game. That's what fans remember. All of a sudden, because that's the most recent, and they needed to beat Chicago in that play, and let's be honest, it's, uh, they needed to win that, and, and the whole bubble takes on a different dynamic if the Oilers advance. Instead, Smith is terrible in the first game. Crawford is so-so, and the Hawks are there to be had, but in the deciding game, that's when Crawford was Crawford, and he gave them nothing, and now they're out. So, you know, it's 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 recency bias. That's a term now, I suppose, but it's true. The last thing fans can think about uh, uh, Smith now isn't punching Talbot out at center ice, which everybody thought was great, or the good games he had. It's that bad first game in the play-in series. But like I said, Brent, um, use him properly. He's not ideal, but it's not the end of the world. No, it, it isn't. And I just think that, you know what, if the goaltending was good enough last year, if the defense is better, then I think I, I, I'm not, I'm not uh, running around saying it's a panic point for the Edmonton Oilers. But double no. A is gone. And quite frankly, that was an experiment by Ken Holland that just didn't pan out. And uh, it's funny, we were having a conversation around the dinner table on Thanksgiving Saturday, for us anyway. And they, and uh, so I was asked, so what do you think? And I, uh, it's real simple for me. Double A likes to carry the puck. So yeah. if you're going to put him on a line with Connor McDavid, that ain't going to work. Okay? And the other thing, too, on a line with Connor McDavid, somebody is either got to go to the front of the net with a stick on the ice well, he didn't want to go to the front of the net, so that ain't going to yeah. work. And somebody's got to go and get the puck out of the corner. He doesn't like to do that, so that ain't going to work. And then if you put him on a line with Leon Dreisaitl, you got the exact same problems. And then you put him on the third line, and it just seemed like he pouted. And at that point, I'm thinking, this guy's got to go. Well, and the other thing, the, the obvious thing, where you and I talked about it before we came on here, I thought it was a reasonable bet by Holland. I don't like the player, to be honest with you. And I, I, I mean, the way he plays, I don't, I don't know uh, half in a CU. But at the time, yeah, it's a reasonable bet. The guy scored 30 goals. COVID comes, the cap goes flat. Now your options to qualify him um, don't look like a very good option. He didn't do anything for me. And they cut him loose, a couple of draft picks. I get that, but, you know, you couldn't have saw that coming. So hindsight, yeah, not a great move, but Holland didn't have hindsight in his corner when he made it. So Athanasiu goes, to me, it's not a big loss. Okay, let's shift to Calgary, the Flames, and Brad Treliving. Well, he went out and got the, the, the premier netminder. Everybody was talking about Markstrom. He got Markstrom to come to Calgary from Vancouver. Yeah. Pay, paid a fair bit, gave him a, a six-year deal. I, I've never really thought that the Flames, I'll go back to last season and even in the playoff round, I thought Cam Talbot was one of the only shining stars for the Calgary Flames mm-hmm. in that playoff round. I didn't think that net minding, maybe it could have been a little more consistent, has really been the problem for the Calgary Flames the last couple of years. There have been some other glaring problems. I don't think goaltending was one of them, but I do know one thing. I think their goaltending will be a little bit better with Markstrom between the pipes, who I, I'm a big fan of. 
I like Markstrom as a goaltender, but I don't like paying his guy, uh, guys his age uh, beyond age 35. I think the deal probably looks fine in the first two or three years. Uh, now goaltenders can play later. I could be oh, yeah. proven wrong. Don't get me wrong. I like I like Markstrom as a goaltender. Just personally, it's come up before when we've talked about player signings, Bryn. I don't want to give a guy that much term. I'd almost be tempted to give him his money a little bit more AAV uh, on a shorter term, but it didn't work out that way. The thing was, uh, you know, Holland was supposedly in on Markstrom, and I can see him being in on him to about five million bucks maybe. I mean, that was sort of the word, so to speak, from the insiders. Yeah. Um, five million uh, you could live with. That gives you nine and a half if you add it to Koskinen's uh, salary. Um, you know, would you have gone, I would have gone five by five on him. That takes him to 34. I just don't like it when you get too late into these guys because if they lose it, you got egg on your face. And it varies some goaltenders can play far better than that. Uh, well, we we're just talking about Mike Smith, weren't we? He's yep. going to 39. And some of his best years were 34, 35 years old. But um, as a rule, not a good idea. But you know what? It helps Calgary. It's not our money. Uh, it's the Flames' money. So if they want to spend it there, they're going to be real good in goal. I was glad to see T- Cam Talbot go get a deal out of there. We had Cam here. Um, I think he's a terrific goaltender. He's had some down times, but uh, beyond that, he's a terrific person. That doesn't stop your pucks, but it does help you in the room. And if a guy can still play, and I think Cam still can, and he can still talk in the dressing room and people listen to him because they respect him and they like him, uh, you know, that's a that's a big ad for any club. So happy for uh, Talbot on that front. And what about the Tanev signing in Calgary? I, I I'm a big fan. I've always liked him, but I don't know if he isn't towards the back end of his career. And unlike you, I'd rather sign a netminder in his 30s than his 20s, but I'd also rather sign forwards and defensemen in their 20s rather than their 30s. Does that make sense? Yeah, I hear you. Um, I don't think Tanev is a game breaker or a real difference maker. At this point, and he's, he's always been a he's always been a role player. I like the player. Um, I, you know, it's a it's a it's a decent enough ad. He better not be the guy that makes or breaks it. But if you've got a decent club already, yeah, he's a nice piece who can fit for sure. Okay, and then let's take a look at Vancouver and what Jim Benning's done. And uh, I, man, I don't even know where to start here. I know that there's a, a little bit of panic in Vancouver over this one. Might have to get Ian McIntyre back on the phone or back on Zoom at some point to say, okay, so what's the take there? They lost their netminder, although Demko was pretty solid in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. But I just, I think defensively they're hurting a little bit. I don't know. I don't know what to think with Vancouver. No, neither do I. You know, you get, uh, you want to keep Markstrom. If you're not in a position to keep Markstrom, um, you know, maybe you've done, you know you haven't planned ahead enough. I know nobody's got a crystal ball. Demko is a youngster who's coming on. Is he ready to be the guy yet? Maybe, but we've seen maybe not work here in Edmonton 
many seasons where if the cards fell the right way, the Oilers would be fine. Or down in Calgary, if the cards fall the right way, the Flames are going to be fine. But I don't want to go with a maybe in goal. I'll go with a maybe on the wing or a maybe on your second pairing defenseman. But I don't want to go with a maybe in goal. Demko might be the answer, but we don't know that. Okay, and just to kind of wrap things up in our first segment, we'll talk about the CFL and the NBA coming up a little later. Taylor Hall goes to play for, on a one-year deal, the Buffalo Sabres. Wow. (laughs) Well, I I, got to tell you, Bryn, whenever anybody says Buffalo, and I know it's not fair to the good people of Buffalo, I always think of Toddy Marchand getting so pissed off when we'd make fun of Buffalo whenever we flew in there because he was a kid from there, and I never was deeply enamored with Buffalo, the weather, the city, but you know what? The weather and the city don't matter if you're the player. Uh, Taylor's going where he knows the coach, and that's a start. You know, he's got all the money he's ever going to need if he, if he wasn't to sign another contract. So I see some criticism out there. Hey, what happened to wanting to win? Well, do any of the teams that have a chance to win have $8 bucks for Taylor Hall? Nah, I don't think so. Are they going to want to sign you for one year in a flat cap? I don't know. Buffalo is willing to. Uh, he knows Ralph Kruger. He's comfortable there. Is he going to win anything there? Not a chance. But it's his career and it's his call. If he takes a year there, ups his value, maybe, although I'm not that hopeful, we'll be out of a flat flat cap situation. But maybe we're out of it or it starts to ease or there's some light at the end of the tunnel by next year, and then he's a year older, that's the only negative, but maybe he goes and gets five, six years somewhere else. But it is an odd choice off the top, but I get it because of the Kruger factor. Okay, I'll tell you what. Like I said, we'll talk more about the Canadian Football League in Bubble Cities and our good friend Rod Peterson, something that's been said, and the Los Angeles Lakers win again. It's been a while, actually. But man, oh man, uh, LeBron James. We'll talk about that when we come back in a little bit. And also when we return, we're going to talk to Tyra Sloan from Sportsnet. Joining us from Sportsnet, Tara Sloan. How you doing, Tara? I'm pretty good, all things considered, and it's so good to talk to you, I got to say. Thank you, and this is the first time you've had a chance to meet Robin Brownlee. I, 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 can I say one thing here? I've just been uh, so blown away by the show you're doing on Sundays. Can you tell everybody a little bit about Top of Her Game and how this thing got started? Because you're telling some great stories. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, I My kind of running joke at this point is it, it sort of took a pandemic to get a, a show about women in sport off the ground, which is kind of true. Um, but, you know, I, I think the, the pause in, in live sports uh, left space for a lot of us to think, okay, what are we missing? And Ron McLean and I have always been really intentional about including stories um, that, uh, that are representative of all Canadians uh, during Rogers hometown hockey. And obviously that's one of the shows that, that got cut short. And so for me, women in sport is a, is a big passion for me. I've always been a pretty strong advocate. And so 
there was room for this to happen. And it's, it's pretty simple. It's just a, it's a weekly show where I do one sort of long form feature interview with an inspiring women, woman or girls in, in the world of sport. And then we also show, do some, some features. Uh, I think we're going on our 16th or 17th week now, and we're just going to keep doing it until they tell us to stop because we know that there's no shortage of stories. Um, we just, we need to share them. And, and it's really important for youth out there to, to see that, that this is happening. So I feel really good about it. Tara, one of the things is, uh, I mean, it's a big picture, but one of the things is uh, women in sports media, mm-hmm. uh, getting getting uh, the faces out there that are part of the game, whether it's the National Hockey League, uh, CFL, NBA. Um, we've, we've had some women in this town uh, who, you know, been sort of leading edge a little bit. I mean, uh, Joanne Ireland for a long time was a CFL writer here at the Edmonton Journal, covered mm-hmm. the Oilers. Uh, Quinn Phillips, who's the daughter of Rod Phillips, the longtime mm-hmm. Oilers play-by-play man, uh, she's on uh, the sports desk here in town. But there's always room for more. And I'm surprised when you say it took a pandemic. Now, I know that's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but how come it's, how come it's taking so long? I, that's a good question. I think it's multifaceted. You know, I mean, I think it is a matter of being what you can be. So, I mean, I think the more um, our faces are and voices are out there, the more, you know, a young girl can can grow up seeing that that's an opportunity, that's, that's a possibility for her. Um, but, I, you know, I do think that there has to be some intentionality about it. You know, I, the bottom line for me is, if you want to be inclusive, truly inclusive, if you want to be representative and tell the stories of all Canadians, you can't do that from just one perspective. So, you know, I think the onus is really on broadcasters and media in general to say, we want to include women's stories. And in order to include women's stories properly, women need to tell these stories. So, but you know, it, I'm not saying it has to be mandated, but I think it, there just has to be an understanding that if you really want the full spectrum, that's what you have to do. Now, we'll go back down that road and some of the other roads in a minute, but let's talk about you and how you got started in this. I remember I was working at Sports at 960, the fan in Calgary. You were at City TV. I think it was 2012, mm-hmm. and the Olympics were on from London. And one week you were co-hosting with Pat Steinberg, and then you got stuck with me for a week. You were fantastic. You just blew me away. But you went from a show that you were doing. It was a crazy show, and you did all sorts of different topics. Did you always have this one thing that you wanted to do, and that was cover a lot of sports, and maybe from a different perspective, as you've pointed out? As soon as I got into TV, and and people who know my career know that that's not where I started. I I had a music career before that and sort of jumped into TV um, in the mid-2000s. But as soon as I got into television full-time, I started to steer myself towards sports. I was always drawn to it, and hockey in particular. Um, It's funny to say now because it's such a bad word, but I was really drawn towards the the culture of, of sport and hockey in particular, the camaraderie, the teamwork. Um, and so 
when I moved to Calgary and took the job at Breakfast Television, I was just, I was kind of just putting myself out there and saying like, okay, Kelly Kirsch, who's the uh, program director there, I would like to do something. What can I do? And, and they happened to have this slot available to do some coverage for the Olympics. Um, I did some junior hockey when I was in Calgary. I did curling. I did bobsleigh. I kind of did whatever I could to get my foot in the door. And then I, you know, I think it's partially just great timing and, and good luck, but I had the relationships in place when uh, Sportsnet secured the NHL deal and announced that hometown hockey was going to be a thing. And Ron McLean was going to be at the helm. And I, I sent a, a note to the president of Sportsnet saying, I, I think this is a perfect marriage of storytelling and, and hockey for me. So, you know, I mean, sometimes you got to proclaim what it is you want. And I definitely did that. But I, I often found myself in the right place at the right time as well. Now, you talk about, you know, you can knock on the door all you want. Uh, luckily, you've had the opportunity to walk through it. But one of the things that seems to me uh, that has to happen is you need women in the decision-making roles that when a bunch of eager, fresh faces, be they male or female, show up saying, I really want to be a broadcaster, that that women's perspective is there. But first, they have to start somewhere to get there. So mm -hmm. it's a chicken and egg kind of thing, isn't it, really? Yeah, I think it's what they call similarity bias, right? You kind of like the hiring practices end up being what um, people in the executive know. And again, I, I think, you know, I think it's starting to shift. And I, I do think it's starting, that is starting to be mandated. You know, it's like, okay, we, we cannot be so insular anymore. But of course, the, the progress is, is slower than most of us want. And, you know, even when we do get in the door, there are just, there are things that, that we face, there are double standards that, that we face that, um, you know, our male colleagues do not necessarily have to deal with. So, you know, we, we gotta, we gotta push through some things, but uh, we're getting there. Okay. Let's even go further back and let's talk about music because music's played a huge part of your life. Like huge. Yes. Well, I mean, music, quite honestly, is my first passion. Um, going way, way back, I actually was, I had my sights set on opera. So I started my opera, my musical, yeah, my musical drive was really in, in classical music. And then, you know, I kind of botched my first attempt at university and, uh, I ended up, I had worked at Sam, the record man, for those of you who remember all through high school. And, um, I loved rock music and I, I just, I ended up, you know, I moved to Toronto. Uh, I, looked in the back of a, a weekly paper and, and found an ad for a band looking for a, a lead singer, a woman. And I ended up joining a band called Joy Drop and we, we lucked out. We got a, we got a record deal in the States. We did a bunch of touring. We put out two albums. And so that was, uh, that was trial by fire too. I had no idea what I was getting into. Um, but it was, it was amazing. You know, we had some big songs and, some great experiences. And then I went on to do a show in 2005 called Rockstar in Excess, which was also quite a, a shock to the system, but that was a, a reality show to find the next lead singer of, of in Excess. Um, so, but honestly, that show was really what got me into TV because it did nothing for my music career, <laughs> but kind of got me into television. So you never know what's going to happen. That's a pretty drastic turn, Tara. Uh, 
because you weren't just dabbling. I mean, if I read the bio right, there's a Juno Award nomination in there. So you weren't just playing in a garage band somewhere. Um, that's pretty cool. I don't know a lot of people who've been nominated for a Juno outside of the calling that they're known for as in mm-hmm. broadcasting, where they had a music career that got them that kind of nomination and then went on to uh, a sports career in broadcasting. Yeah, I feel very fortunate that I've had two, well, I, I say this with air quotes, legitimate careers. Like, uh-huh. I mean, I you know, my music career was an actual career. It was a, a decade run and it was very serious. You know, we, we, I did 200 shows a year uh, across North America. We, we were, you know, seriously doing the thing and it was exhausting and exhilarating and, um, you know, made records at big studios and spent lots of money on videos because those, in those days, budgets were much, much bigger than they are now. So we lived the dream uh, a little bit and, and yeah, we, we worked our butts off and, and got that Juno nomination and got some notoriety. But it's the slog, and I'll just say that I, I feel for my um, musician and music, you know, related colleagues right now because it's a really, really tough time out there. So, from a traveling perspective, you've moved all across the country and you've done tour dates in the U.S. and that kind of thing. Now you get this hometown hockey gig, and you're dealing with a guy named Ron McLean who's been around forever. <laughs> And you're dragging him all over the country when he's in Toronto, <laughs> generally on a Saturday night. And then he appears magically wherever oh, you God. are. And you've already been doing stories. But sitting next to a guy like that, you got to learn little tricks, right? Like little things that are able to help you with your show. For sure. And it's funny when you talk about that, him magically appearing. Like, I'm going to knock on wood here. Six seasons and he never missed a broadcast, which is incredible, given that this is winter travel in Canada places like you know prince rupert and whitehorse i mean just (laughs) unbelievable um and you know it's a testament really to ron's determination and and love for rogers hometown hockey that he wanted to do that (laughs) i mean it's a lot of work and and a lot of travel and, and really exhausting um oh gosh for sure i've learned so much from him i mean i would say one of the biggest things i learned was to trust myself because entering into this position uh, as his co-host, he trusted me more than I trusted myself, I think. Um, you know, he, he never thought of me as less than him, regardless of my uh, experience. He always, he's a very generous broadcaster, and I know you'll know what I mean, but, you know, sometimes you work with people who, they want to be the ones to tell that story because it's theirs. There's no, he's got, doesn't have a proprietary bone in his body. His intention is to get that story out in the best way possible. doesn't matter who's saying it. doesn't matter how it's told. Um, he's very precise and, and he's very well studied. And then that, I think, you know, he rises to the level of his preparation. And within that, he can relax and be that very calming presence that, that you see on television. So he's, uh, he's, in, he's the best. He's the best. Well, the word you hear about Ron a lot, Tara, and I got to know him pretty well when I was on the Oiler beat here, and he'd come in with Don Cherry and Hockey Night in Canada. Um, he's a pro. And mm-hmm. the, thing is, the funny thing is, when I look at uh, your show with him, 
I've never once seen him sit back in his chair and look over at you as he occasionally did and would have to with his old partner, Don Cherry. <laughs> if you want to talk about polar opposites, and that's meant to be a compliment, uh, he went with, with, with grapes for all those years, and people tuned in whether they agreed or not. Your gig is a totally different thing, but it shows his range right there. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm sure it was, you know, uh, some relief for him not to uh, have to keep an eye on or an ear on what I was going to say. Um, but again, that's, you know, it was a testament to him just trusting, trusting that I was um, prepared enough as well. And I think he understands that, you know, we're a really good balance for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes he'll get into you know, the nitty gritty of, I don't know, like blade curve or, you know, just things that are like a little bit more kind of nuts and bolts or X's and O's. Um, and then I, you know, I might concentrate more on sort of feeling or story. So I, I think we complement each other in that way. But yes, I definitely, um, Don and I didn't have much in common, but I'm sure I think it was just a, a nice for Ron to kind of skate back and forth. Okay, now to the show. Uh, I, I, I got to say that the topic range has been fascinating for me, and I've loved it. But it's easy to talk to Haley Wickenheiser or Christine Sinclair. Are there other athletes or people in management positions that, that have really stuck out for you so far since you started the show up? You mean in terms of guests that we've had? Yeah, is there anybody where you went, wow, I never saw that coming? Well, I think it's more, you know, just like you say, the the topic range and being able to kind of dive into places that I wouldn't have doing hometown hockey. Um, for instance, we talked to Rachel Nichols and or sorry, Rachel Den Hollander um, and Maggie Nichols, who were both subjects of the documentary Athlete A on Netflix. They were both victims of of Larry Nasser, who's the evil evil doctor with USA Gymnastics. Um, you know that stuff is. It's a intricate dance. Um, so for me, it's definitely sort of stretched me, I think, as a, an interviewer and, um, yeah, just kind of delving into some really delicate subject matter. Um, talk to some kids, which is also a, sort of a different thing, although we had lots of kids on Rogers Hometown Hockey. But um, I'm trying to think of, I mean, gosh, we've had so many great women. Elizabeth Manley was a standout for me. And that was actually really nice because she, she lives in Ottawa now. She drove to Toronto specifically to do a socially distanced in-person interview with me. Um, but you know, my favorite interviews are, are really where people, where I can create the space for somebody to open up. And I felt like Liz is so beautifully forthcoming about her story and her battle with mental health. But that, that was a real standout for me. Um, I talked to Sarah Spain, who's a, an ESPN host, um, and a woman, women named Jessica Luther and Kavitha Davidson, also um, female sports journalists. And that's always nice for me because we have some shared experiences. But I, I don't know; they've, they've all been they've all been great. And I, I just, you know, we have a big long wish list, and we're, we're trying to land some some more and just keep it going. Now, will you stick with sort of the sports genre 
with this because I look at your background. I would love to uh, listen to Biff Naked on your show mm-hmm. or other women uh, with high profiles in Canada because hockey is the thing we're talking about now or women in sports. But with your background, do you ever see blurry in the lines at all and having somebody like that come on? I think that's a good point. I mean, I think we'd have to sort of talk to Sportsnet about, you know, how that fits into that particular network. But certainly, I mean, there are so many women at the top of their game who I'd love to to talk to. And really, I mean, obviously, we're we're focused on sports, Mm -hmm. but it's not like, you know, I have Sammy Joe Small on um, coming up and it's not like I'm going to talk to her about her save percentage, right? It's her journey. Mm-hmm. And so, um, yeah, I think you bring up a good point and it's worth <laughs> thinking about in the, there we in go. the future. Yeah. I had a chance to meet Billie Jean King once and it was a, a, an awe-inspiring moment for me because, boy, she casts a monstrous shadow. And as much as we try not to be awestruck, we can mm-hmm. be. And I was, Mm -hmm. and I'm guessing that uh, you've got to have a few situations like that, too, where you go, wow, I can't believe who I'm talking to here. Well, she was one of them. Um, Ron and I flew down to New York in February to do an interview with her that ultimately aired on our um, International Women's Day broadcast, which happened to be the last hometown hockey broadcast of the season because we were pulled off the road. Um, And that was unbelievable you're right i mean and she's so sweet and so engaged and engaging and curious you know like i mean we could have talked for two hours um so that was that was a big fish moment for sure uh the very first episode we did of top of her game was with stephanie mcmahon and charlotte flair and i mean you don't in wrestling you, you certainly don't get any bigger than that and just in the just in pop culture too. I mean, the name McMahon and Flair, right? Um, so I guess in some ways, though, when you're doing interviews on on Zoom, you don't get quite as uh, as nervous. But yeah, Billie Jean King, that was one of them. And I mean, we've had lots of moments on on hometown hockey with people like Mark Messier and Wayne Gretzky, and it's just kind of pinch, got to pinch yourself. <laughs> huh. Sarah, when you when you mentioned Billie Jean King, um, it raises a question in my mind. I mean, I'm of an age when I really remember Billie Jean King as a young woman and right on top of, of tennis in the world. The best player I ever saw for the longest time. Um, here we are in 2020, and we're still talking about a lot of the things Billie Jean King uh, was trying to talk about from the time she waxed Bobby Riggs in that tennis <laughs> match. Um, that's a lot of decades. How can we, Bryn and I, and every man out there, get the hell out of the way or at least help so that we get somewhere? Because we've been talking about it for a long time. Mm-hmm. And some of those roadblocks and uh, issues for women still remain, whether they're trying to make their way as a broadcaster in the professional world, in the world of politics. I mean, you're half the population. How -hmm. come you're not represented that way all these years later? And, you know, and it's exactly 50 years 
ago that the original nine broke off and, and started their own thing. So that was Billie Jean King and their mm-hmm. Virginia Slims tour. So that's, I mean, that's pretty crazy. And yeah, I mean, one of the things we talked to Billie Jean about um, was the work that she's doing with the PWHPA, the, the Professional Women's uh, Hockey Players Association, and trying to get trying to get a viable league for these top um, elite players and and get women paid, right? I mean, get and I mean that's just the the battle is is ongoing and it feels very depressing uh, at times. And you know, there are some strides being made. I don't think it's, well, and maybe it is sometimes about getting out of the way for sure uh, and allowing other voices to be heard. But I I think the more, you know, sometimes I feel like as women, we're constantly preaching to the choir because we have our our community and we all kind of believe the same thing. But I think the more allies we have, the more, you know, the two of you and, and our local broadcasters just include stories and, but also Speak up. Like when you believe that there should be more women's voices or via a league that, that pays or so-and-so, um, gosh, say it, you know, I, I just think, uh, I know that there are detractors out there. I'm certainly at the point in my career where I just, I, I don't feel like I have anything to lose. And, and I feel like I have only have, um, to gain by, by making my voice heard. But I think it's more about being an ally than, than stepping out of the way. I had to look at my wall because I have some of my media accreditations in a frame because that's my career on the wall. But I look at one particular media accreditation from 2002. It was the under-19 women's event that was held in Edmonton. This is where Christine Sinclair and the, uh, the women of Team Canada opened a lot of eyes. And I still remember to this day seeing Marta playing for Brazil and also these were names I wasn't familiar with, even as a broadcaster. And the fact that they put 55,000 people in to watch that particular event, Canada taking on Brazil on a semifinal matchup. It's still one of my, one of my career highlights. I just absolutely loved it. And it just caught me so off guard. It's about, to me, it's about people giving other people a chance and also Mm -hmm. going in with a, Going in with your eyes wide open, I guess, is probably the best way to put it. But man, that was a special that was a special event and a special day for me. And uh, Christine Sinclair w- couldn't have been ha- she could not have been happier with the way the event w- went. But I still remember our good friend Jean Principe, who asked her a really difficult question, and her emotions came out, and we started calling him Mean Jean. But just to see. <laughs> her true uh, emotions on the field. There's a lot of different athletes like that, but it's just, that was one particular one that just mm-hmm. st- still stands out to me. Well, and you know, the audiences are, are, are there, but you know, again, we need to highlight, we need to highlight them. Like, you know, I just saw uh, there's a, you know, little Twitter thread, little kerfuffle hanging, uh, going on about, you know, how successful the NBA and, you know, the NHL were creating their bubbles, but, you know, no mention of the success that the uh, national women's soccer league had and the WNBA had, and they had no, no positive COVID cases. And so again, it's like making sure that we're intentional about representing all the information. And, you know, there's record viewership for the NWSL. And so there's, there's, 
there are things happening, but it's like the we we can't ignore. <laughs> we got to, we have to make sure that we include them in the conversation. Tara, you you led me right to where I, I something I wanted to ask you about when Bryn and I were talking. I think everybody, not everybody, but if they can't agree, they should. We need to include starting with young girls and then young women uh, into sports, whether it's playing, whether it's refereeing, whether it's coaching. There's all kinds of roles out there. But when you mentioned the NBA and I was, or WNBA, and I was also thinking about the NWHL, um, and Bryn mentioned the soccer here at Commonwealth. Outside of the Olympics and the World Cups and the one-off events that can draw eyeballs and people into the turnstiles once we get people walking through turnstiles again after this pandemic is mm-hmm. over, how do we create that an NWHL that works with a reasonable salary cap, with reasonable revenue so that that salary cap can be reasonable? Um it's not happening now. People are not supporting it in the way that's necessary for the young players to make money at it. The WNBA, when I tune in, it looks like a terrific product, but they're still losing money every single year. So you can sell, 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 but if the appetite's not there, um, maybe people don't buy. I don't know what the answer is. Do you have one? I don't have an answer and I certainly don't claim to be educated enough to, to you know, know what the, the business model can be. I just saw this morning that the W, uh, sorry, that the, um, <laughs> I'm getting confused. The NWHL um, is shifting models to yeah. private ownership that Danny Ryland has stepped down and there's now going to be a new commissioner. So I don't know what they're doing. Um I, what I do feel, and this is based on a lot of conversations, you know, that I don't know that that league is ever going to be, um, I'm not sure they're going to be the league that play, that pays workable salaries to elite players. Not that I don't think that there is a place for that league, because I, I think that there quite possibly is. Um and, you know, it may be true that the WNBA is losing money, although I, I, again, I'm not educated enough to know that. But the reason the WNBA has been growing is because of the support of the NBA. And I do think that that's what the PWHPA is hoping for with the NHL. And, you know, I just think there are enough models to show that it does make good business sense. And, you know, for people out there who are yelling and screaming and saying, well, you know, why would you think that the women deserve to be paid the same as men? Nobody's asking for that. Just, I mean, it's as much about pay, just a living wage and resources. Um, But the bottom line is, if you look long term, sure, uh, a national hockey league run women's league or assisted women's league might lose some money. But what are they gaining in terms of a female fan base by, by showcasing? these elite players so I mean I just I think it's a really long game thing and you know we already know that the fastest growing fan base for the NHL in particular are women and people of color 
So, you know, they would be wise to offer something um, so people can, can see something that looks like them. But, you know, I, I don't have, I definitely don't have the answers at all. <laughs> so, right, though, the discussion is a huge thing. This has been great, by the way. Can't thank you enough for your time and uh, continued success with the show. It's funny, you get that little crack open the door with the COVID thing, you've barged in, and the show is, uh, is great, and I'm uh, convinced it's going to be on for quite some time. Thanks for your time today. It's been a blast. Hey, thanks to both of you very much. Thank you, Tara. I know it's a little weird. We're in the month of October and we're talking about the NHL draft like it happened just a couple of days ago. Oh, it did. Joining us, uh, joining us is a guy that both Robin and I have known for quite some time. And the show is The Pipeline Show. And the host, Guy Flaming, joining us today on Zoom. How are you doing today? Yeah, everything's great now. Thanks for the invite, guys. Uh, it's been a while. Good to talk to you again. Well, let's talk about the draft overall. Did you like what everybody did? There's winners, there's losers, there's some people on the fence. What What were your initial thoughts? Well, I think most of the time you have to say you don't, you won't know for three, four, or five years who the winners and losers really are. Definitely some surprises. I think Columbus taking uh, the, the Russian that they took uh, with their first round pick that had everybody kind of scrambling. It was it was their yes, you need a Mackey pick if you want to go back to the Oilers days uh, back to then. Uh, but, I mean, that's the guy that people thought third, fourth round, and they ended up taking him, uh, what they take him, 20th, something like that. So, yeah, that was a that was a surprise for a lot of people. But who knows? Maybe uh, maybe Yarmo knows something, and uh, he's going to have everybody uh, looking over their shoulder because of what he's doing. Well, Guy, I think you're – you might be a bit harsh on that one. I was at that draft, and Yessi Ninamaki – wasn't ranked 50th he was ranked 50th among europeans so that that tells you everybody i remember everybody scrambling through the pages of their uh draft guide trying to find find this name um with this draft though i'm curious your take because you know these guys a lot better than we do we can look at the stats we can look at the clips but I know there was a collect. I could just hear it, even though it was done on Zoom. There had to be a collective groan when uh, Seth Jarvis went to pick before uh, the Oilers chose, because I know they were interested. Um, what kind of hockey player did they get instead, and how good might this Jarvis be? Well, Jarvis going to uh, to Carolina rather is he's a smallish but really skilled. Um, I think there's a lot of people who were kind of looking at him like uh, like a Braden Point type of player. Now, I should say that when Braden Point was in the WHL, I didn't expect him to have this sort of NHL career. I thought he was a nice, small, super talented, but very small and probably not going to be uh, really successful at the NHL level. So Seth Jarvis now following in that guy's footsteps, I think uh, you almost have to look at size now and say, you know what, maybe it's not that big of a deal anymore in today's game. So um, Jarvis will come out of the WHL as a really uh, offensively talented and skilled player, but with some size issues that he's going to have to overcome. But others have done it now, um, so no reason to think that he also can. 
Um, the Oilers coming away with Dylan Holloway, that's an interesting pick. It's, it's not a flashy player. Um, in fact, as a freshman in the NCAA Wisconsin, he was part of a, a really good incoming freshman class this year. Guys who were drafted mostly last year, Cole Caulfield, Alex Turka, much more uh, sizzle uh, to those uh, players than there is for Holloway. And he didn't have the points this year, but uh, hearing and, and speaking with his coach, uh, Tony Granato, he's kind of the, almost like a glue player. He's, he's the guy that you can't win without because he does so much for your team. He might not be the big flashy player. Um, he might not be a top six guy, but I think at worst, he's a third line center. Um, and you need those players. In fact, you just need one of those guys right now. He's not going to be ready for them right now. Uh, but I think, think uh, long term, this is a pretty good pick. Most of our uh, listeners are in Western Canada, so that's Canucks, Oilers, and Flames. So we don't have to talk about Alex Trebek basically announcing who our <laughs> draft pick is in this neck of the woods, although that was I loved that. I thought that was pretty fantastic. But let's yeah. take a look at, obviously, you've talked about the Oilers' number one guy. What about the Flames and the Canucks? I really liked what the Flames were able to do, on, uh, especially in the first round with uh, with taking Connors area 24, but trading down a couple of times before they did it. I think if uh, if they'd taken Connors area 17, nobody would have blinked. I think that was a reasonable pick at that spot. So being able to trade down, still getting their guy, but adding a pick further down the draft, I think is great asset management. So I really like what the Flames did early on. As the draft went on, I can't say I'm really blown away by uh, the choices that the Flames made, but um, you know I, I don't know all of these players as well as the NHL teams do, obviously. So, um, so pretty good. Uh, you know, Jeremy Poirier they took in the third round, really offensive defenseman out of the uh, the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League. Apparently, can't play defense, so that's a bit of a, a red flag if you're a defenseman and you can't play in your own end. But lots of offensive upside. So if you can uh, hone that guy and, and uh, help him out. Uh, and develop them, uh, then that could be a, a home run pick. So that's what the the, the Flames did on on the uh, in the first round that I really liked. And then the Vancouver Canucks, and it was a they had a weird week. Yeah, the Canucks. Well, they didn't have the, the high end pick, so uh, it's it's really tough to evaluate what they did because their picks aren't going to be impacting their organization for two or three years at the earliest. I mean, really, the only player that that they took that I'm familiar with is Jackson Coons, who was playing at Sault Ste. not Sault Ste. Marie, uh, Shattuck St. Mary's, the other SSM. Um, but uh, going to North Dakota, he's a big guy, apparently not very mobile, but uh, a big body that can score goals uh, at the high school level. So kind of a long-term project there. I know they took a, a finished defenseman that they have some high hopes for that can be an offensive guy, but um, you know, when it comes to the draft itself, I wouldn't say Vancouver had a very splashy day. The, uh, we saw Alexis Lafreniere here a couple of years ago. I remember watching him uh, up close and, and talking to the kid. When, a, when a, a kid like him is rated so highly and talked about as the number one overall pick so early on in his development, sometimes the, the time leading up to his draft is spent where people try and find flaws. They try and pick away uh, when, it, when a kid's so highly ranked for so long. What do you see Lafreniere as? Does he have a chance to even climb into that generational bracket that we like to use, or is he just going to be a really good hockey player? I think he's a really good hockey player. 
Um, I, I look at uh, Jonathan Huberto or, or uh, somebody like that who's a, a really impactful player. Uh, I've heard other people say he could be Nathan McKinnon. That, to me, is, I mean, he's one of the best players on the planet these mm-hmm. days. Um, so I think that's setting the bar really high. I think if you could be a top 20 player in the league, top 20 contributor score, uh, I think you're pretty happy with that. I, you know, he's not Connor McDavid. I don't, can it be Austin Matthews uh, impact level? Sure. But, uh, um, you know, I, I think I always try to temper expectations a little bit. I think he's going to be a very, very good player. I don't know that he's going to be a guy who leads the league in scoring one year. I'm just going to say one word and you can respond to it. Germany. <laughs> for the draft, big day for Germany for the draft. I thought you were going to save Leon Dreisaitl when you're talking about you know impactful players, but um, great, great draft for the Germans. You got Tim Stutzla who goes third overall, and then a couple of other guys who could have been first rounders uh, in Lucas uh, Lucas uh, Reichel and uh, JJ Paterka. Paterka actually slipped into the second round, early stages of the second round. Uh, I thought San Jose was going to end up taking one of the Germans. They have a history of taking Germans. I think one of their owners at one one time was German, so they took a lot of guys uh, early on. But uh, um, I, I think that's fantastic for, for hockey in Germany. I, I like to see those non-traditional hockey markets. I think the smaller countries like Germany and Switzerland and Austria and, and Denmark starting to produce. You see players from those countries getting drafted almost every year now. I think that's good. I think it's good for the game. Uh, I think we need to find players, and because it's a global sport now and the way it's grown around the world, we're starting to get impactful players from uh, across the globe. I think I think those are only positives for hockey. Gee, there's some buzz around Stutzla because of, I guess, the focus that Dreisaitl has put on German hockey of late. Uh, did I read this wrong? I thought I just saw that he has suffered an injury I believe, a, a broken arm that's going to keep him out a while. Have you seen anything about that? I hadn't heard that. I heard something about a contract situation or that the, the delay for the NHL season might mean that he wouldn't be able to play this this year for uh, for Ottawa. I hadn't heard about an injury. Wow, I'll have to look into that. Sorry about that. Uh, it's fine. This is a, you know, could be a developing situation. So overall, for the most part, do you feel a little out of sync with your show? Because... You guys do such a great job with the Pipeline Show, but yet here we are in October. You'd been building and building and building for a June draft, and then you had to wait so long. It must have been killing you. Uh, quite honestly, the last five months, six months, has been a real challenge for for the show, even just in terms of booking guests, because the newsworthy stuff, nothing's going on. We're talking now about, well, the Quebec Major Junior League actually started about 10 days ago. Three teams have been shut down because they've uh, got positive uh, tests uh, with COVID. The WHL, the Ontario Hockey League, are, are trying to look at early December. Uh, the USHL is just the top junior league in the States. Uh, they're forging ahead to, for an early November start, despite having worse situations than we have anywhere in Canada. Um, so it's when it comes to, to actually talking hockey, it's, it's been a challenge. Uh, Thankfully, we had the draft, so I was able to talk to a lot of the draft-eligible kids. But fewer, it seems like, were uh, available than in most regular years. And I, I don't know if that's just the, the agents were, I don't know, but protecting their, their, their players a little bit more. 
uh, if there was that much downtime or they just, I think a lot of NHL teams were doing a lot more of what we're doing right now, having these Zoom interviews with players. So they might have been, maybe the players had a lot more interviews, so they weren't available to media nearly as much as uh, as a traditional year. It, it's just been a really weird six months. And even just personally, um, motivationally almost, it's it's been a depressing six months um, without uh, a whole lot going on. So it's, it's some days it's hard to find the motivation to, talk hockey in, in a situation like we're all going through right now. Dee, how much does this pandemic uh, change uh, scouting uh, in the junior leagues uh, at moving forward? Sometimes with the pandemic, you find, uh, I'm hearing in different sectors of the economy, you, you come across some things that are ideas made to handle the pandemic, and you get into it, and you find it works pretty well. Are we going to see more Zoom stuff? Are we going to see a different way of keeping eyes on players uh, moving ahead? Well, there's always been video scouting. Well, for the last number of years, anyway, video scouting. Uh, but every scout that I've talked to insists that y- you get a lot more from actually being in the rink than just watching highlights of, of players. And, and I would tend to agree with that, although I'm not a scout. Um, but you look at what's happening right now in the queue. You've got a, a major one of the CHL leagues is actively playing. I talked to somebody, the play-by-play guy out in Cape Breton. He said there's about 11 NHL scouts that live in the Maritimes. Not a lot of representation for NHL teams that uh, are right there that can get into the ranks. And um, so I think, uh, at least for the time being, there's going to be a lot of video scouting. Uh, that's for sure. Uh, how successful that's going to be. Does it lead to more mistakes on draft day? Again, I think only time will tell that. But um, I, I think uh, with, as in with any walk of life right now, um, you know, my wife's working from home and who knows, maybe a year from now, her, her uh, employer feels that uh, maybe three-day work weeks or something, you work the other two from home. I don't know. I, I think this pandemic could change the, the way we do a lot of things in real life. Before we wrap things up here, how long have you been going with the Pipeline show now? I've lost track. We started uh, year 16 now. So 2006 was uh, the, the first year that uh, you allowed us on the air, Brent. Yeah, I, I still think that was a pretty good call. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks. 2006. <laughs> yeah, February. February 6th of 2006. I feel suddenly extremely old, not just old, but... Uh, <laughs> Well, continued success with it. It's uh, man, you guys have got a good rep, and uh, there's a reason for it because you guys do great work. So, thanks for joining us on the show today. Oh, I appreciate it, guys. Thanks a lot. I enjoyed uh, catching up. Thanks, Keith. Hey, quite the show today, so let's not go too long the rest of the way. Rod Peterson, our good buddy in Regina. What was he suggesting about a bubble city? Well, he was saying there's some discussions going on about uh, perhaps having Edmonton uh, as a bubble city for the CFL in 2021. Now, I have no clue what that will look like. I mean, what we do know is that Edmonton as a town and as a group of organizers 
uh, did a hell of a job with the NHL bubble. Um, so we don't know if that'll translate to the CFL, but if it's being discussed, it's something to keep our eyes on for sure. Well, we'll see if we can track Rod down over the next week or two and see yeah. if you can give us a thought on where he's at and where this Canadian Football League is at too, because this is a big off season, kind of an unintentional off season. And quickly, the Los Angeles Lakers have done it again. Took a little while. It's been uh, almost a decade since they won the NBA title, but they did it, and they really had to suck it up to uh, get by the Miami Heat, who were pretty pesky. But LeBron James wants some respect, Robin. (laughs) He's always moaning about respect. You know what, though? I get it. Uh, LeBron's a terrific player. Yeah. And it's funny, you know, whenever a, a player like him gets to a final and wins it like this, the, you know, the conversation goes outside the actual championship win. Now, you know, that's four for LeBron, and that puts him in some real good company. Nobody wins on their own. Nobody loses on their own. He's been an absolutely dominant player. Uh, in a lot of those playoff and championship games throughout his career. So let's give the man his due. I'm an old Lakers fan from many, many years ago, but it's probably because more of a player that I still have above LeBron in the greatest of all time debate that flares up when these things happen. Um, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, uh, who started out as Lou Alcindor. Yeah. you got to be a big fossil to have seen uh, Kareem, uh, aside from YouTube clips, but to actually have seen him play uh, live. I still think, for what it's worth, that it's Michael Jordan and uh, Kareem, one and two, greatest of all time. No Bill Russell, I, no, no Wilt? Uh, Wilt's not even close for me. Honestly, uh, Bryn... My my top three, and it's I, I have LeBron fourth. I think you can make an argument. Put it this way: if there's a Mount Rushmore and there's four spots, I think LeBron has moved uh, onto it. For me, uh, Bryn, it's Michael Jordan with uh, the six championships. It's not just championships, but his place in career scoring in the championships. Uh, it's Kareem who won six titles and leads the NBA in career scoring. Hard to argue there. The third guy for me, and some kids are going to go, who? Bill Russell, you mentioned him. He played 13 years in an era where scoring wasn't up, so his, his scoring numbers don't compare to today's players, but he won 11 championships in 13 seasons, 11. LeBron's at four, and again, you don't win it on your own, but he's at 11 and he was also a five-time MVP. So I've got Bill Russell for the old guys as third, but fourth place right now, uh, easily easy an argument that LeBron belongs there. Bill Russell without the advantage of having a three-point arc as well, right? Yeah. So he had to take everything to the hoop. But anyway, yeah. we'll, yeah, uh, so. I'm sure that we'll, the Mount Rushmore of sports, that might be a great topic coming up down the line too, and we'll uh, – Maybe look at different sports and who you think should be on a Mount Rushmore and who I think should be on a Mount Rushmore. But now we're tight for time today, but we got to tell you that The Outsiders is brought to you by a guy that I've known for over 25 years, and uh, that is Brent McIntosh. 
does great work in the city of Edmonton and Sherwood Park, the whole metro area. Mm-hmm. And in fact, uh, he uh, he's a big listener to our podcast, and he's going to be starting his own podcast here very, very quickly. But uh, to Brent, we have to say a big thank you. And uh, to everybody at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City, thank you for being part of our team as we uh, come at you uh, once a week. But everybody keeps hearing how tough the market is in Edmonton right now for sellers. Brent's a very optimistic, upbeat kind of guy, and he will find a way to get it done for you. He's got a great team working for him. They uh, not only have a plan A, they've always got a plan B and a plan C to sell your home. And they're obviously trying to get the most amount of money in the least amount of time. That's the big secret. That's the big success. And Brent McIntosh, as I said, has been uh, working in the Edmonton area since 1998. It's hard to believe it's been that long, but they can help you with uh, your sale of your home. Robin, has he had a chance to buy you lunch yet? (laughs) No, but I'd be happy to give him that opportunity for sure. Well, well, (laughs) we're applying the pressure right now, Brent, so you're going to have to step it up, and uh, (laughs) we would love that. So uh, if you want to track everybody down at the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City, it's real simple. Go to their uh, go to their website, which is the Macintosh Group. Sorry, it's Macintosh Group at. Sorry, let's do it one more time here. Man, I'm getting tired. You know what? I thought physically I was ready to get through this whole show, but it's been a tough one today. Anyway, check them out at MacintoshGroup.ca. There you go. Or you can give them a call. Some people still do this. They actually pick up the phone and call people. Seven eight zero four six four. 0075. That's 780-464-0075. And say hi to Brent. And when you talk to Brent or anybody at his team there, make sure that you tell them the outsiders told you to give them a shout. All right, Robin, that's it. What a show. A little long today, but I loved it. I thought Tara was outstanding, and it was great to check in with Guy as well because he's always got an amazing and a very accurate spin on what's happened to the draft. Yeah, no, good show. Worth every minute, I tell you. Okay, thanks. We'll talk to you next week. You sure will. Proceeding was recorded earlier because we were ashamed to do it now.